Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. So we're, we're doing this thing called the Follow Me series, which is the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And uh, really where we find ourselves is in the midst of Jesus. He's about six months from the cross, and he's really focused, hyper-focused on teaching his disciples about eternal perspective, really. He wants to help us keep our eyes on the prize, which is heaven. You know, uh, it, it, 70, what is the average age of a human? A, a man is like 73 or 74 years old or something. Women are a little bit higher because um, they take care of themselves better. But uh, the, the reality is, is in that 70-some years, it kind of seems like a, a long time when you get started. Um, and so you can, you can kind of get waylaid, you know, maybe... Maybe some of you guys are in your mid- midlife, you know, maybe you're in your 40s or something, and, and you're thinking, man, you know, life goes fast, but sometimes our perspective, we get focused on the things that really don't matter at the end of the day, and that is the horizontal. And Jesus is telling his disciples here, hey, time is short. Number your days. The Bible says remember to number your days because time is short. We only have so much time. You know, you can't produce 24 hours in one second. It doesn't work. There's 24 hours. Time is on a time schedule. There, you can't produce more of it. So Jesus knowing that and knowing that at the end of this life, there's a judgment that will come and we'll stand before the Lord. Jesus says, hey, I want you to focus on that moment. I want you to focus on eternity. I want you to get your eyes totally on the vertical while you're living the horizontal. I want you to focus on me, but I want you to live that way horizontally. I want you to bring heaven to earth. I want you to live as if you're in heaven today, right now. I want you to focus in that way. I want you to invest not in the earth, earthly things, but I want you to invest in heaven. And so as we come to Luke chapter 12, again, six or so months out from the cross, Jesus is telling his disciples, focus eternally. Don't focus on the now, but focus on the then. And he does that. He begins this, this, this sort of five-warning series in Luke chapter 12 that goes through Luke chapter 13, verse 9. And he's, he's telling them, beware of these things. Be careful. Here's some things I want you to watch out for. The first thing he said in the first 15 verses was, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, right? So beware of that. I want you to be careful because there's going to be a tendency for you to want to become somebody that you're not. Don't be a spiritual actor, be real. Just be real. Be who you are. Be that eternal being that God has made you to be. Be Christ to this, to this uh, dying world. And if you're, not, if you're not a believer, don't act like that. Don't act like you are if you're not. God knows. And at the end of the day, the only person you're fooling is yourself and everybody around you, which at the end of the day amounts to nothing. The only person that matters at the end of the day is the Lord. And if you think you're fooling him, you, you're not. He knows. He tells them, beware of hypocrisy. It's a bad testimony to say you're one thing and misrepresent the Lord in the world and then people have that in their mouth, that bad taste in their mouth, right? He goes on and, and last week he was interrupted as he was teaching them about hypocrisy. He, 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 he breaks into this warning on covetousness because this guy sort of interrupts him and says, hey, Tell my brother to give me half the inheritance. You know, we don't know all the details of, the, of why he did that. But what we know is 
Jesus said that man had a covetous heart. That he was focused on the horizontal and not on the vertical at all. He, he didn't care so much as to have, uh, you know, he was in Jesus' presence for one purpose and one purpose only, to get what he wanted. He wanted horizontal things. He wanted possessions. He wanted whatever the inheritance might have been. And Jesus goes on to warn his disciples, beware of covetousness. It'll, it'll steal away the treasure that you're supposed to be laying in heaven. You can't take anything with you. He goes on and gives this parable of the rich man there. And he talks about how this guy was rich already. He had plenty. He had what he needed. And yet he had a great ear in his harvest. And, you know, we know the Lord is the one that provides for those things. And, and uh, you know, for, for a farmer, he, a guy can't make it rain. A guy can't make the ground fertile. He can't do any of that. It's completely and totally dependent upon the Lord. This man had a great year. And so what he decided to do was he decided to relax, to eat, drink, and be merry. He was going to store up and he was going to control, you know, he was, going to, he was in control of his destiny, so he thought. He thought he had planned well. Jesus tells him, you didn't plan well. You planned poorly because you were so horizontally focused in the here and now that you forgot about eternity. Who will get all your possessions when you die? Somebody else, you're not taking it with you. So, so Jesus was telling his disciples, remember that. Now, this is the exact opposite. What we're going to talk about today is the exact opposite of what he talked about last week. He talked about covetousness last week, about covetousness, about you know, desiring uh, beyond what is reasonable, beyond what God tells us to desire, the horizontal things, um, you know, covetousness. Now he tells us not to worry. That would be the exact opposite. Not having enough. Having so much that you just keep wanting more and more. That's what he talked about last week. Versus this week, we're going to talk about being worried. Open your Bibles again to Luke and stand with me. We're going to read uh, verses 22 through 34. When Jesus said this, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you, are, what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give it to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not uh, fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you for what you have to say to us today about this subject of worry. We know that that is... Nothing has overtaken us except for what is common to man. 
And the fact that you're addressing your disciples means you're addressing us this morning. You have a word to say to us, Lord. Help us to have ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us this morning. Lord, we want to know you more. We want to be able to trust you more. Help us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I have entitled today's message, Spinning Your Wills with Worry. Spinning your wills with worry. How many of you guys know what it means to spin your wills? Pretty much all of you, right? It means that essentially you're putting time and effort into something that's going nowhere. And we've all done that. Maybe it's been in a relationship, a job, a, you know, something on the horizontal that you've invested in. It just really never materialized to anything. You spun your wills. You know, and, and as I was thinking about that, uh, you know, I was thinking about spinning your wills, and I, I've spun my wills in a lot of different ways in life. I came up, I, I thought about this, it reminded me of this story one time. I borrowed my father-in-law's truck, and I was going to do something at my house, and it would, was rainy out. It had been raining, and the ground was kind of slick, and I kind of live on a ridge. And so where I needed to go was kind of, it was downhill from where, where my um, driveway was. And so I was going to drive down the hill, and uh, I was going to drive towards my chicken coop. And then I had to turn. Well, I started to descend. And as I started to turn, anybody know what happens to a heavy truck that on, on slick ground? Uh, when you try and turn, you slide. So I was going slow. So I thought, OK, I got this under control. No big deal. Started to slide. I'm like, OK, I'm not going fast. I have it in four-wheel drive. But, but, the, but, but I couldn't even, you know, I take my foot off the brake for a second. I just kept sliding. And I got closer and closer and closer to my chicken coop. And I was nearly almost hitting the chicken coop. And I thought, man, this isn't working. So I put it in reverse. And I thought, well, surely this is a four-wheel drive truck. It's going to be able to get up the hill and backwards, right? But as I tried to mo move the truck back up the hill, the tires just spun. And, and I thought, well, it'll get some traction. So I kept spinning them. You know, like, is that what guys do, I think? Oh, no, it'll work. We got it. No, just force it, you know? If, if, that's what I do. My wife says, don't, don't force anything. Don't do it. But I'm, I'm trying to get this truck out of stuck, and I'm just spinning my wheels. So I thought, well, my dad comes out. He's like, whoa, what's going on? He's trying to figure it out. And, I, and he has this, I don't know, 1997 Camaro, rear-wheel drive. And we thought it was a good idea to hook up this F-250 to the back of that. We thought we could pull it up the road. We tried to come along the thing up. We couldn't get it to come up. And, I, and here's the thing. About an hour and a half later, as I continued to spin the tires on, um, you know, on that truck, I realized I smelled, there's a heavy stench of rubber in the air. And, and, I, and I look and I go, Dad, do you smell that? And my dad's like, yeah, it's the tires. So I look at the back of the tires. They were completely bald. These were new tires, fairly new tires. Not only did I get the truck stuck and I spun my wheels, but then it cost me something. It cost me about $1,000, actually, to replace the back tires on that truck. That's what it's like to spin your wheels with worry. Not only is it a waste of time, but it will cost you something. That's what Jesus wants to tell you this morning. Don't spin your wheels with worry. Don't get caught up in worrying, trust him. Trust him in, the, in, in, 
your darkest moments and in your times of whatever you're worrying about. Sometimes it's trivial stuff we worry about. Stuff at the end of the day that we, we, we look back and we go, man, why was I worried about that? God says, trust me. That's what Jesus wants to speak to us about this morning. He has two words for you worriers today. Akuna Matata. It means no worries for the rest of my days. It's our problem-free philosophy. I've only seen that movie a thousand times. I have four kids, man. Akuna Matata. The reason that we can have no worries is because we have a God who is in control. We have a sovereign God that we serve. And so we really have no worries. It's as if God said, hey, I'll worry for you. God doesn't worry, but I mean, God, you know, he, he'll take it for you. Jesus said, hey, man, I, I've got a yoke that'll fit you, but I don't want you to bear the brunt of the, the load. I'll take the load for you. God says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. The idea is that we're to continually bring our burdens to God and lay them at his feet. They're his problem. Do you know that? Because he bought and paid, you're bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's his life, not your life. And so you bring your burdens before him, and sometimes those are difficult, and they're hard burdens, and they're really difficult to let go of. But God says, hey, bring them before me. Let me lay them at my feet. Allow those worries to rest upon me. Reminds me of a story I heard about a guy. He lived in a small community, and he was a pretty successful guy in business and everything, and he, he was trying to... Um, you know, everybody would see this guy all the time. He'd be haggard and stressed out, and he looked like he, you know, was, was about ready to lose it at any given moment because he was so stressed with his job, so worried about everything. You know, how do I keep all the balls up in the air? You ever been there? Maybe you're there today. Well, this guy, um, you know, a couple weeks had gone by. Nobody had seen this guy, and, and uh, he, he came to the, to the local coffee shop, and some of the locals saw him there, and they said, hey, hey, what's, what's up with you, man? You look like you're actually in a good mood today. Look like the weight's been lifted off your shoulders. What's going on? He goes, oh, I, uh, you know, what's going on with your business? He goes, well, well, I hired somebody to worry for me. Oh, you hired somebody to worry for you? Yeah, yeah, I don't have to worry about anything. I don't worry about anything. I just get a, I just get a check every week. I don't have to worry about it. This guy's, this guy's job is to worry for me. So I hired him, and he goes, wow, that sounds amazing. I mean, that's got to—that's got to be, um, you know, costing a bundle. He goes, "Yeah, it is. It's costing me a lot. It's costing me a half million dollars a year." And the guy goes, "Well, well man, you only make forty thousand dollars a year." And he goes, "Yeah, I know. That's his problem, right? I mean, we don't have to worry." That's the perspective that we have with the God that we serve. Sometimes we get ourselves in situations that, you know, are really difficult, and you know what? We don't have to worry about them. Maybe you—maybe you lost your job. God saw that coming. And maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, how am I going to make ends meet, God? How am I going to deal with that? And you start to worry about it. You start to bear the burden. And God says, no, that's not a problem for me. Just trust me in it. You know, just, just walk by faith in me. Now, now, walking by faith is kind of an interesting thing. It's not passive. It's not like you're sitting in your chair Walking by faith. I'm walking by faith. No, walking is actually, there's action in it. That's why we say we're walking by faith. Like, we're moving. That's why James, when he talks about faith, he says there's works associated with it because it's active. It's something that we do. 
It's something that we, we trust God, but we actively trust God. You know, like God said, I'm going to provide for you, but he's not just going to drop a bag of money on your, on your door, right? Here's a bag of cash. Here you go. That, that, that happens, you know, sometimes when we're doing what we're called to do and everything. But, but in other words, walking by faith is not being passive. It's not just sitting back saying, I'm not going to do anything. I'm letting God work, you know. God's working. I'm just sitting at home waiting for my phone to ring so I can get a job. God's working, though. I'm, I'm trusting him. That's presumption. That's foolishness. God calls us to walk by faith. He calls us to, to do what we know to do, right? To, to, to trust him in the things that we're not in control of, right? I mean, even in the things we are in control of, he's going to get you a job. He has a perfect job for you. Remember, there's a girl here that was looking for a job one time, and she was kind of worried about it. And I just said, listen, God has a job for you. You don't think that God knows the numbers of head, hairs on your head and that he has a plan for your life and that he hasn't thought it, uh, thought it through enough to go, well, she probably needs a job. She's going to lose her job here, but she probably needs a job down the road. You know, God is in control. He knows what he's doing. We can trust him. We can trust him. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples to, to, to take their worries to the Lord, to lay them at his feet. And he's doing that for a reason because he's not going to be physically present with them much longer. He's going away. And he's trying to teach them to come to the throne room of grace, to present your request before God, that he might act on your behalf. He's trying to teach them to walk by faith. Uh, the first thing that we find here in these, in these verses is a warning about worry. Jesus said in verse 24, 22 um, to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Now, now Jesus is speaking to his disciples. That includes you this morning. If you're a blood-bought Christian, if you by faith put your trust in Jesus Christ and his works on the cross... And Jesus is talking to you. And he's saying to you the same thing. It's a commandment. Do not be anxious. Do not. It's a negative commandment. He's telling us that this is something that we are not to do. It's imperative that we don't do this. Because if we do this, it will sidetrack us on the here and now and we'll forget about eternity. This is what I'm a firm believer happens to many Christians. They get so worried about the horizontal that they forget about the vertical. And they're, you know, they're doing the things, you know, they're, maybe you're reading your Bible and you're, you know, and you're, you're doing what you can, but, but you're, 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 you're fully engaged in the matters of the world. And, and, and Jesus is going to tell us, don't do that. Don't do that because what's going to happen is you're going to become so worried about this world, about caring for your children, about all these are good things, about caring for your life, about caring for your your children, about caring for your future, that you're going to forget about the, the only thing that matters at the end of the day, and that's eternity. You'll be so busy focused on the horizontal that you'll forget about the vertical. It happens. I'm telling you, I've done it myself. You've done it. Jesus is saying something here that, that is a blanket cover over all of us saying, don't worry. Why? Because we worry. Because we worry about stuff. Because we worry about our life. Some of us worry about our life today and we're so concerned about every single thing that we do that might in some way harm our body that, we might, that it might you know, cause cancer or this or that. And, and it's a good thing to be concerned. It's not a good thing to worry. Or some of us are so worried about our, our, our relationship with, our, with our whatever 
girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse or whatever it is that we're, we're so concerned about, we're investing so heavily in that that we forget about everything else and we're walking on pins and needles around that person. And, and it's a good thing to invest in your spouse. It's a good thing to invest in people on the earth. But if, if you're worrying about it, that's sin. It's not a healthy thing. Some of us are so worried about our finances, about how we're going to pay the bills tomorrow or how we're going to be able to um, you know, care for our kids in the future that we're so focused on that that the Lord says it's a good thing to focus on those things. It's a good thing to be concerned about those things but not to worry about them because ultimately you're not the provider. He is. Listen, some of you just worry about everything. doesn't matter what it is. You, 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 I, don't, I don't really worry that much, but I have no fingernails. So, you know, it's just because when I'm thinking, I chew my fingernails. When I'm thinking about stuff, I just chew my fingernails. My life's like, oh, you're thinking, huh? I go, yeah, I know, I am. That's why I have nubs, because I think a lot. But, um, but some, of, some of us worry about everything, every single thing, every little thing in your life you're so worried about, even the, the, the various minute things. Oh, my goodness, we don't have any peanut butter. Oh, my God. What are we going to do? Lord, I have no peanut butter. And, and you worry about that. And you're like, I can't make any peanut butter jelly sandwiches. I don't know what I'm going to do here. Life is over, you know, kind of thing. And it's so trivial. It really, at the end of the day, makes no sense at all to worry about those things. Some people have a, a PhD in worry. We just call them Dr. Worry. You know any Dr. Worries? There's Dr. Worries that I know. Worried about everything. Doesn't matter what it is. Our country spends a ton of money on medical help for those people that are worriers. Anxiety. Anxiety is, is worry. At the end of the day, the root of, um, the root of weary, or the, the root of, um, of, of worry and the root of, of, of fear is fear. At the end of the day, everything boils down to fear. You're afraid of something. You're worried about something because you're afraid. Fear is the opposite of faith. And, and God says, you don't need to take a prescription to, you know, to overcome fear or worry. What you need to do is take the prescription the Bible prescribes and, and, and get faith. That's the prescription for worry. That's the prescription for anxiety. It, it is to, to come to the Word of God and allow it to build faith in you. Now, now hear me on this, that I'm not saying that there are no medical conditions where people don't need that. I'm not saying that at all because I think that that, that has its place. But, but let me just tell you a little story about me. So the way I got saved was I was worried. I was afraid of death. I was fearful. And 24 years old, I had a couple friends that died. Many of you guys know the story. And, and I started to be thinking I was dying for some reason. I just, you know, everything that was I was seeing around me, I was consuming I was receiving in and it was not good and I became so overwhelmed that I was fearful I was so fearful I would be you know thinking I was dying at any given moment and it was a terrible time in my life but God had a purpose for it he he it, it got me to the point where I knew I knew that I was going to die one day and it, it really got me focused on you know I'm going to I'm going somewhere someday and it helped me to realize that I needed Jesus and as I continued to worry and fear, one day I got so sick of it that I woke up in the middle of the night in my bedroom and I just said, you know, I'm so tired of this. I don't want to be afraid anymore. 
And, and it was like the Lord just was there with me in my bedroom. No altar call, no preacher, just me and the Holy Spirit. And the Lord just said to me, you just got to lay it at my feet. You got to give it to me. You got to come to me. He's, he's the one that gives us rest. I was worried because I had no hope. I was worried because I had no future. I was worried because I had no idea where I was going. And the Lord told me, just place your faith in Jesus. Place your faith in Jesus. And I did. And in that moment, my fear began to fade. It started to go away. But, but before I got to this point, I was seeking doctors. You know, I went to the doctor and I said, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just get seized by fear sometimes. I just get overtaken by anxiety and all this stuff. And, and I don't understand it. And oh, well, you're depressed. You're depressed. And I'm like, no, I'm not depressed. You know, and they think you're trying to cover it up. Like, you, no, really, I'm not depressed. Like, if I were to look at the, definition, at the definition of depression, I don't feel I'm depressed. I think we all are, kind of get depressed sometimes, right? I mean, life is kind of up and down, and we kind of roll with it. But, but I wouldn't call myself clinically depressed. I don't think that I need Prozac, thanks. And so what I did, literally, the doctor was immediately just giving me a prescription. FYI, the doctor doesn't know your body, Right? And I refused to believe that a pill was going to solve my problem. Because at the end of the day, all it was going to do was cover up what was really going on. And had I maybe taken that, maybe I wouldn't have been able to hear the Holy Spirit. Because I believe there is a spiritual something that happens when it comes to these anxiety drugs and stuff like that. And I've heard testimonies of people that say that they can't hear the Holy Spirit when they're on these things. But, but here's the thing. I refused to, to, to do that. And so I trusted God. I didn't even know the Lord. But I trusted the Lord, and the Lord met me where I was. He was my only hope at that point, guys. I had no other hope. I put my hope in Christ and Jesus, and my, my fear began to fade. And the more I got to know about Jesus, the more, the less I feared anything. The more I got to know the living word, the more anything on this, in this world really didn't, have, didn't, captive, didn't cause me to be worried or fearful. So I overcame that. Fast forward, so that was in 1997. Fast forward to, to 2012. My little brother dies, and, and he's 38. He has a heart attack. So I come home after his funeral, and I, I get diagnosed with heart disease. My real brother just died, and I'm thinking, I'm next. And so I had this revisitation of, you guys have the re revisitations of your past problems that, that just kind of show up one day? And now you have to face them again. And you thought, oh, I, I, I have victory in that. But what the Lord did was he just showed you how to get through it. And so 2012, I, I have this revisitation with anxiety. And I start to have, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm dying again. You know, feel like I can't breathe and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, and, and, I, and I'm trying to trust the Lord. And I'm just continually, but I'm consumed with this thought of waking up, I'm going to die. Going to bed, I'm going to die. And... and and, and what I had to do is, is Philippians 4.8. I had to focus on good things, on true things, on trustworthy things, on noble things. And when I allowed the Word of God to just give me hope in that, in that situation, it would be like, I wasn't fearful that I didn't know where I was going. Now my fear was different. My fear was, what about my family? How's my wife going to deal with this? And the Lord just, just you know, it, 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 was, it wasn't the same kind of fear, but it was fear. And he showed me, Tim, are you, your, are you the provider? Are you the one that's going to provide for them? Are you providing for them now? 
Are you the one that, that um, continually you know, gives you sales every day? Or are you dependent on me to do that? No, no. What the Lord showed me was at the end of the day, no matter how much effort I put into it, ultimately it all comes from Him. It all comes from Him. He's our provider. And He gave me rest in that. But had I not ran to Him, had I not run to His Word, and had I not trusted in that, I'd probably be freaking out still. Probably be thinking every time I felt something, well, what was that? Am I dying right now? Am I still breathing? Am I still in this world? Am I a spiritual being or am I physical here today? I have no fear anymore. And again, will I ever revisit that again? I don't know, but what I know is God has given me a prescription. He showed me what to do. Faith, trust me, come to me, let me deal with it. I'm telling you that I'm speaking from experience when it comes to fear, when it comes to worry, and I'm telling you that God's word has everything that you need. Everything that you need. You can trust him, you can rest in him, he is going to meet you right where you are. And He's going to help you overcome because He overcame for us. And we have victory in Him over anything on the horizontal. He won. And so we win. But we have to walk in it. You've got to walk in that. You know, I can sit here all day long and tell God that, yeah, I can tell you all day long, I'm, I'm, I'm walking in victory, and yet I can be incredibly seized by fear. Well, then I'm not really walking in victory. It is true that Jesus paid the price for me and that victory is mine, but I have, to, I have to walk in that victory. And if you don't actively walk in that victory, you're going to be continually routed, continually overtaken. If you don't run to God with your problems, where else are you going to run? You're going to deal with them on your own. You're going to deal with them with, in a horizontal means. And you know what? At the end of the day that might mess up even more the vertical of what's going on there. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith. When you begin to worry about something, you're not trusting God. And what does that say to God? It says that He's not trustworthy in your mind. It says that He's not dependable. Does, is that the direct opposite of what His Word says about Him? Yeah, it is. And it's the direct opposite of what you've experienced in your life about Him. Because he is faithful, because he does provide, because he does meet you where you are always, no matter what. We're all going to be tempted to worry. We're all going to be tempted to, 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 um, to become fearful. And that's where we have to just step into faith and allow his word to become the prescription for us. Because faith comes by hearing in hearing by the word of God, the more you know God, the more faith you will have. The more you know about God, the more faith you're going to have in this, in this life. The more you know him. Let me give you an example. The Apostle Paul, he was shipwrecked on a, a, an island called Malta. And they, they were going to make a fire, and so they got some wood, gathered some wood up, they put it in a fire, and they were going to you know, started up or whatever. Paul put his hand down on the wood and I don't know, they started the fire or something and a viper came out and attached itself to his hand. Now, the, the, the natives of this island saw the kind of snake that was and they said, oh, he must be a murderer or something. The God, the Greek God Justice is now judging him for his act, whatever he did. 
And, and here's the thing is, every, everybody on the island that was a native that had seen that snake before, they expected one of two things. They expected him either to swell up or to drop dead suddenly and die. That's what their experience was with this kind of a snake. Now, was it not a poisonous snake? Or, or, or what happened? Because that's not what happened at all. What does it say Paul did? Paul said in Acts chapter 28, verse 5, it says, He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Now, we can say that it wasn't poisonous, or we can say that he just had faith and God healed him. And that's what I believe that it's teaching here is that he had faith because the native people of the land were expecting him to die at any moment. This guy's done. Goodbye. See you later, Paul. You are done. But Paul was in a state of akuna matata. No worries. It did hurt him, I guarantee you. Fangs going into your flesh probably didn't feel good. Right? There's some pain involved in it. But you can trust God through the pain. He shook it off into the fire. And he didn't worry about it. He just didn't, didn't even think another thought about it. And, and that's really how we should trust God with our lives. No matter what diagnosis we get, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we can just shake it off. Because we have a God that's in control. And he's not going to allow anything into your life that is not meant there to produce a Christ-like character in you. You understand? Like he's using all circumstances in this world uh, to produce a Christ-like character in you. And it's probably the only way that it can come out through you is through this circumstance, through this trial, through this whatever it is. And he's saying, I'm going to teach you how to be like Jesus here. And this is the only way that it can come. He's preparing you for heaven. He's saying, but you got to live like you're in heaven today. you got to trust me. I, I promise you, if you... If God were to materialize before us today and we were just all of a sudden in the heavenlies and we saw his throne and we saw those four creatures around the throne, we saw the 24 elders and we saw heaven and we saw this angel band and we, and we were there with them and then all of a sudden you came back, I don't think you'd have a problem trusting God. The apostles, when they saw the risen Christ, they didn't have a problem laying their life down. They had a major problem before that. They went and hid in an upper room when Jesus died. They lacked faith. When they saw Jesus, and they saw that he resurrected just like he said he would, all of a sudden the rest of their life they had faith, and they all laid their lives down for him. Nothing can happen to you that God isn't in control of. Nothing. And he will meet you where you are. There is pain involved, yes. There is pain. But he'll meet you in the pain and he will see you through. For me, in the midst of my worry and my pain, it was the, the life verse that God gave me that I cling to. Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ, to die as gain. It's a perspective. It helps us put things in perspective. Like, okay, I'm his, right? So that verse just basically says, I belong to God, so whatever happens is good for me. If I'm, if I'm here today, then I'm, then I'm living for Christ. If I'm dying, it's gain to me because I finally get to be perfect. I get to be what I'm called to be. I get to be that, that true image of Christ, right? God wants us to trust him with the basic necessities of life, food and water, food and those, those things. Food and clothing, he talks about. 
He talks about, you know, he brings up our basic needs because human logic, you know, is always challenged with these basic needs when it comes to, you know, somebody needing food or somebody needing clothing. It's like, you know, oh man, how's this going to happen? I don't understand. And, and I don't get how this is going to happen. But a heavenly logic says, just trust the Lord. Just trust him. He knows what he's doing. He's going to provide for you. Paul said in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When something arises in your life, food or clothing or whatever it might be, your need, we're called to, to pray. Literally to plead. To plead your case before the Lord. To cry out to Him with thanksgiving. Be thankful. Bring it to the Lord in faith. Bring your situation to Him in faith. Believe fully in His ability and His willingness to intercede on your behalf. Listen, if you do that, Paul says, the Word of God says, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit here, when he wrote this, he said, you will experience the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Now, I don't want you to be confused about this because the peace of God is not the same as the peace with God. The peace with God happened at the cross when you came to Christ and you accepted Him as your Savior. You got peace with God. Jesus made peace on your behalf. No longer do you have to suffer any kind of wrath because Jesus took your wrath. You have peace with God. This is something entirely different that he's talking about here. He's talking about the peace of God. Well, what's the difference? Well, we can be at peace with God and not have the peace of God in our life. We can allow circumstance to, over, to topple us over. We can be fearful. We can be worried about stuff. But when we come to God in prayer through supplication with thanksgiving, all of a sudden we get this, this blessing of the peace of God. It's like a covering that God says, I know your circumstances are hard, but let me cover you with peace, right? And let me, let me give you a peace that really surpasses all understanding. Like it doesn't even make sense that you can be at peace in the situation. And the world looks at that and they go, what's the deal with this guy? Why is he peaceful? Why does he have peace in this moment? Why does he have, um, you know, we have, we have people in our midst right now that suffer well, that are an incredible testimony to the Lord on what it means to suffer in the midst of pain. And the Lord meet them there, and, and it's a testimony of His grace and His mercy. It's a testimony of what He can do in a life when somebody submits himself to Him. And, and here's the thing is, if you don't bring it to God, you don't get the peace of God. You've got to bring it to Him. That's what Paul's saying. You want the peace of God. You want peace in every moment of your life, then you've got to constantly be, be um, frequenting the throne room of heaven. You've got to keep bringing it to Him. You've got to keep laying it down at His feet. You've got to Look for, you got to just trust Him. Don't miss out on the peace of God. God wants to bless you with His peace. He's not saying that you're not going to have hardships, because you will. In fact, to be a Christian means, i.e., Christian equals hardships. Just You can look that up in the dictionary. Christian, hardships. Suffering, that's, that's what it means. People have the direct opposite view of what Christianity is. Christianity is hard. It's difficult. It's way harder than being in the world. It's a constant denial of self. It's a constant dying to myself, surrendering to God, questioning every motive that you have in your life, and, and, and asking and submitting to what He wants you to do, not what you want to do. It's a constant death to self. 
It's hard. Jesus said it was going to be hard. But it's doable. Because he's, he's given us his spirit to do it. If you want the peace of God, you have to be willing to bring your requests before God and then he will give you the peace of God. Jesus goes on to illustrate why we can trust him in two ways here. Through ravens and through lilies. First, he, he talks to us through this illustration of ravens. He goes, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor, sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value of you are you than the birds? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do such, do as small a thing as that. Why are you anxious about this? Jesus says consider the raven. Now, this is the only time we see the raven mentioned in the New Testament. And um, it, the raven was, or, or you could translate it crow, same idea. You know, th these are kind of a junk bird. They really, have no, um, they really have no value as it relates to us. They're vultures. They, they can't be used as food. They're unclean animals. You can't eat them or anything like that. And what's interesting is they're considered the least of the birds in the bird family. Israel was full of ravens. Maybe Jesus saw a raven right there. He said, consider the ravens. You know, that's kind of how he taught. To see an illustration, a landscape. Just consider the ravens. You know, there's some birds flying by. Consider the ravens. They're the least of all the birds. And yet God provides for them. God gives them what they need. All birds are 100% at the mercy of God providing. And yet they don't worry. They know that they'll be provided for. How does God provide for them? They don't have storehouses or barns, do they? God provides for them one meal at a time. And God will provide for you one meal at a time. You don't expect him to show up with a Costco, you know, <laughs> shopping cart full of stuff. Here you go. No, he's going to provide for you one meal at a time. He said, consider the ravens. God provides for them. You know, but, but what's interesting about birds and about the ravens in particular is that they don't worry, but they do work. Like they don't worry about anything. Not worried about their food, but they do work. In fact, the raven work so hard. They're the hardest working bird out of all the birds because they have the most ravenous uh, appetite. Like they, they want to eat. And you know what? They're flying around looking for food. They're not just sitting around in their you know, little nest with their mouth open waiting for God to drop some worms in their mouth or ravens like you know, roadkill. So you know, they're not <laughs> chunks of you know, dead meat just dropping in their mouth. They're not looking for that. They're out and about flying around looking and God will provide for them. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And God will provide for them. The Bible says, the Bible mandates that we work. You know that? 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, Paul said, we, get, we would give you this commandment. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. God provides through that very simple manner. Through work. He gets you a job. Number one, he provides a job. Number two, he provides you the income from that job to be able to provide the meal on your table. He's providing for you. Listen, don't presume, but act, but by walk by active faith. Do what you're supposed to do. Do what he's calling you to do. He will provide just like he said he would. Now, if he cares about the least of the birds in, in, in this general way, don't you think he's going to provide for you? if he's doing it for them, it's a powerful picture of the true dependency that we can have on God. These birds have nowhere else to go. They're de totally dependent on God. I don't even know that they even think about it. 
May your life be lived in such a way that you're not even thinking about whether he's going to provide or not. You just know he's going to. You just know that no matter what happens, he's going to provide because he's Jehovah Jireh, right? The provider. That's what it means. He's Jehovah Jireh. He is going to provide. He loves you. He, 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 he loves you so much he cares about you. It would be totally absurd for you to sit around and worry and wonder if he's going to provide for you. It's a given. He's going to. Do what you're supposed to do. And he will provide for you. Worry is not going to accomplish anything. He said, you know, you can't add a day to your life. Sitting around worrying about not having any food, you're not going to add a day to your life. You're going to take a day away from your life, actually. You know, stress is the number one killer in America, in the world. Stress is what causes disease. Stress, worry, constant you know, stress in your life, stress is, it creates fear. You're worried about all these things, and all of a sudden you start getting diseases and stuff. It's a scientific fact that stress shortens people's lives. So rather than adding a day to your life by worrying, you're going to take a day away. That's the repercussion of not trusting God. That's the fall of mankind. Don't stress out. It's unhealthy. And again, it, you're not gonna, it's not going to add anything to your life. Look at verse 27. Here's the second illustration. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. This is another great example. Lilies don't do any work. It's not like they're trying to muster themselves up. I've got to get another petal out today. If I can only do that, you know, just another petal. No, it's not the way it works. They trust. They, they, didn't, they, they just are. Again, no thinking involved. They know that, that they're, gonna, they're just going to grow. It's, it's, they trust to grow. God has to provide the soil. He's got to provide the, the, the food. He's got to provide the sunlight. He's got to provide the rain. All of these things in order for them to, to grow. And, he, and, the Lord, and the Lord says, look at Solomon. And, and as he was clothed in the greatest the most elaborate clothing that you could buy on earth. And God says, man, nothing that man can produce can compare to the way that God provides, the way that God causes you and I to grow, the way that he clothes us with his grace. You're a trophy of grace. And he's clothed you with his grace, and he's made you um, an image of his son. He said Solomon in all of his clothing doesn't, doesn't even compare what God does. I, Sonia and I would go out into the mountains sometimes and we'd, you'd be in those meadows, you know, and you'd see these flowers and they would pop up. You know, they'd just be beautiful, a meadow of flowers and stuff. You'd think like, nobody planted this stuff here. It just came. It just arrived. They're, they're there. That's what God is saying. He, he, he just made that happen and he's going to make that happen in your life. He's going to provide beauty in the, in, out of nowhere where you're not going to even expect it. He's going to clothe you in that way. Jesus says the issue, when we miss all of that, is that we lack faith. Oh, you of little faith. This isn't a compliment. Yeah, but doesn't the Bible say if we have just the faith of a mustard seed, it's just a little faith? No, that's not what that means. Not just a little faith. Little faith means little trust, right? If, I'm, if I have a little faith, then I have a little trust in God. How about full trust is what he wants. Full surrender. He wants everything. 
You have Jesus is saying, oh, you of little faith, it's not a compliment. You know, you're not going to stand in heaven and people are going to applaud. Here he is, the man of little faith, folks. All right, good job. That's not going to happen. Now, in our culture, it would happen because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, right? I mean, everybody gets a trophy. Doesn't matter if they earned it or not. Everybody's, you know, oh, you showed up, man. Good job. Here's your trophy. When you get to heaven and he starts to pass out uh, crowns, he's not going to be like, oh, here's your crown. It just looks just like Paul's. Oh, here's your crown. It looks just like Paul's. Everybody gets the same thing. Not going to work. It's not the way it works. I wonder why we have a problem with entitlement in our country today. Because we just, hey, here's your reward. You showed up. Good job. We go. Everybody gets the same thing. Don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Listen, there's a reward system in heaven, right? And God has, God has put a reward system in heaven because it is an entitlement. We don't deserve anything. We deserve anything that he gives. And yet he rewards us according to our faithfulness to him on earth as believers. Like when we get our crown, it's going to be, it's going to be the representation of our life on earth and what we did for him and whether we were so horizontally focused that we, we, had nothing, we didn't leave anything for the eternal. Maybe it'd just be a band. Here's your, here's your crown, you know. Focus on the eternal. Focus on, on those things that matter. Have faith in God today. Faith is what pleases God. Do you know that? Have faith in him. He goes on here. He says, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor worry, nor be worried. For all nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Jesus tells his disciples here that uh, if they seek the necessities of life over the kingdom of God, that they will be just like the pagans, just like the fatherless pagans. They don't, they don't have their, God is not their father. He's their creator. There's a difference. And, he, and he's saying they'll be just like them. Jesus is saying, um, you know, the people that, that don't really trust in God, all their value is in this world, and so they focus on that, and they're worried about their possessions on this earth, and they try and get as much as they can because that's what their hope is in. God says, don't be like that. What kind of a testimony is that? What kind of a testimony is it? You know, notice he uses, um, uses the, the idea here of the Father knows what you need. My kids to my knowledge, don't ever worry about what they're going to eat or what, what they're going to wear. They're not worried about that because we provide for them. I, as a dad, I'm providing for them. They don't have to worry about whether I'm going to do that or not. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. They might want more than what I give them, but they're going, they're going to know that they're going to have a food on their table and that they're going to have clothes to put on their back, right? And I'm an earthly father, and you're an earthly father if you have children. You don't see your kids worried about it. Dad, what, what am I going to do? Well, if you have a teenager, they might be like, oh, man, i got to have that clothes. Life is over if I don't get that shirt. You know, that, that's, a need, that's a want, not a need. God's going to provide for you. God is going to. He's your father. Again, get your eyes on the, on the vertical and not the horizontal. We have a simple mission to accomplish here on earth to know Christ and to make him known. That's, that's the entire purpose of our being here and existing. And, 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 and if you're doing that, then, then, you're, then you're trusting the Lord and you're, you're, you're allowing him to be everything that you, you, he's called you to be. But if you're not, then you're being just like the world. If you're not fulfilling the mission that he's given you, then you're, you're just sidelined and you're, not, and you're horizontally focused. And he's saying, focus on eternity. 
Focus on it. You have a father. He knows what you're going to need. Just do what you're supposed to do. He's going to do what he's supposed to do. Just trust him in these things. He goes on in the verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Fear not, little flock. I like the way that he said this because what he's telling them is there's going to be opportunity to fear, number one, because you're little. And comparably speaking to the, to the Roman contingency that's there, to the Jews that exist in this world where they live, they're little in number. They're little in size. And he's telling them, fear not, even though you're little. Because God can do great things with little things. He takes the little things and he does massive things with little things. He turned the entire world upside down with, or right side up actually with 12 guys. And, and you're thinking, how can I make a difference, right? Because God can take little things and he make, make them big, but fear stops that. You start to not trust God and you well, I'm just not gifted in that, man. I'm not really an evangelist. I don't know how to share my faith. Jesus said, go and make disciples, Right? That was a blanket covering. So whatever he called you to, he's, he's equipped you to do. Go and make disciples. Go into the world and make disciples. He's calling you to do that. I don't know if I'm gifted at it, man. Just trust him. He takes little things. Your little, your, the little steps that you take, he's going to take and he's going to magnify those things. He's going to make something out of it because you're trusting him. You're walking by faith in him. Size doesn't matter to God. What matters is your faith. How much you trust him. Maybe you're here today, you feel small, you feel insignificant. God is saying he's got a plan for your life. And you know what, if the God of the universe is on your side, then how small are you really? You're not really that insignificant, are you? You have what you need to, to do what you're called to do. The, the, everything lies on your perspective. Where are you focused? Are you focused on the vertical? Or are you focused on the horizontal? Are you investing in heaven? Or are you investing on this earth? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you're focused on is where your heart is going to gravitate towards, and you're going to yearn for those things, right? Back to what he was talking about with the guy and the, the inheritance. If your heart is focused on that inheritance, you're going to yearn for those things, and that's all you're going to see. You're going to miss everything else. So God says, get your heart focused on things above. Get your mind focused on things above, right? And, and those things, your life will gravitate towards those things. You know, you're not going to be holding on to your possessions. You're going to be freely giving them. Sell the things that you have. Give them to the poor, you know. doesn't mean you're, you're, you're called to be foolish, you know. But, but what it says is don't hold on to your stuff. Like, that's what you put your hope in. If your hope's in your bank account, your hope's in the wrong thing. God could take that away tomorrow and where you would have no hope if that's what you're putting your hope in. And sometimes God does that to show us that that's what our hope was put in. That's what we were trusting in. You know, if you're trusting in something other than him, that's an idol to God. And he says, that's not cool. And I'll strip you of the idol because I want you to have the correct perspective, the right focus. Jesus is telling these guys to be kingdom-minded, to focus on the kingdom of God. Because ultimately, that's what matters. Invest in the kingdom. Invest and seek his kingdom. Don't worry about this other stuff. Focus on eternity. And I don't know about you, but are you, I'm tired of spinning my wheels with stuff that doesn't matter. 
Because that's exactly what you're doing. You're spinning your wheels. Yes, make a living. God called you to do that. Yes, take care of your body. God called you to do that. Yes, do all the things that the Bible mandates you to do as a Christian, but don't get so focused like this is your home because it's not. Be investing in the future. Be socking away treasures in heaven. Be doing things that matter eternally. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples, and that's what he's telling you this morning. Don't miss out. He's got a great plan and purpose for you, but if you're so horizontally focused, you're going to miss all the great blessings that he has for you. They're going to come vertically. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. He has no variation, shadow of turning. He wants to bless your life. You just got to get your eyes on him, and you have to trust him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word, and thank you for the reminder to us this morning, God, that we are called to walk by faith and not by sight, that we are called to put our faith in you no matter what, to not allow the things of this world, Lord, to um, hinder us from what you have for us in eternity, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this place today that you would help us to be focused on eternity, that if we haven't been doing that, Lord, then today, let us start right now. Let us start today. Let us be eternally focused. Let us let your purpose in our life rule and reign. You bought and paid it for us, Lord. We're of yours. If there's anyone here this morning that isn't yours, Lord, that they would just allow your Holy Spirit to draw them in, just like you did to me in the middle of my bedroom, to just believe in what Jesus did, that he died and rose again from the dead. And if we put our faith in him and we repent of our sins and we turn away, your word tells us we'll be saved. Let them just cry out to you today, Lord. And may... For the rest of us, if we're not walking by faith, if we're emptied of faith this morning, Lord, would you well up in our hearts this morning some faith? Help us to grow in our faith and continue to grow in our faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.